what's up, rock and rollers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Today, we are going to dedicate the entire episode to one of the most multidimensional and longest-lasting rockers in all of the business, Sammy Hagar. Uh, so please hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave your likes and comments on our Facebook page and follow us on iTunes and Spotify. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. What's going on, Jason? What's happening? I, it's uh, starting to warm up a little bit. You know, just wait five minutes, it's Texas. But uh, it's starting to, starting to feel like Texas again after the very weird snowpocalypse. Yeah. Snowvid 21, whatever. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I'm getting in the pool maybe twice a day nice uh, in the middle of a little bit of a vacay i'm still uh directing my rehearsals at the school but i'm taking a two-week break from teaching so it's cool i've got like two days where with pretty much no lessons and then i'll go to the school and direct a a, a show rehearsal and then i have like three days off in a row and then uh, the next day i'll go do a rehearsal you see what i'm saying yeah yeah okay two and one and then three and one and I've, so i've got two weeks of that and i'm i'm almost in the middle of it all which i'm stoked so it's it's kind of a fake vacation a fake vacation <laughs> <laughs> uh, because i don't want to, yeah because i don't it's not really a vacation if you just piss off for two weeks and you're just like laying out by the pool for two weeks every day but that sounds great to me well this is this is a thing where i i'm so dead i i'm dedicated i love my job right i don't yeah. want my uh my shows that i direct to fall short or you could look at it another way, Jason, you're a control freak and you can't let a coworker direct your shows. And it's a little bit of both, I think. <laughs> um, on that note, yeah. I got some show and tell here. Um, man, I got to tell you, I got to send out giant hugs and, and kisses to uh, Bob Sutcliffe. Ah, uh, yeah. City. The dude is golden. Um, you know, we've been doing some trading and, you know, I, I, he found these old angel records. I'll start with this. This is a CD. It's a digital, digital remaster of, um, of two records. I believe that, that I, yeah, that I already had on vinyl, one of them or both of them autographed actually. And that's, uh, the first album and then uh, hell of a band. And it looks like that. Uh, and I'm not going to shove it in my camera because it'll break the camera. Well, you know, it'll make it all fuzzy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's a reissue on BGD Records. I'm not quite sure what, what that is. Um, but it's the first two albums on a digital remastered CD. Um, and then uh, On Earth As It Is In Heaven, these are not in any order. Yeah. Uh, Casablanca. These are all original course uh sinful that title might sound familiar yes it does mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and uh, honestly, I, I'm I'm a little bit unfamiliar with some of the songs on these two records. Um, I am very, very, very familiar with this record. Uh, White Hot was the first Angel record I had, and then I saw them play live. <clears throat> this is probably their peak. Uh, and this live album, Live Without a Net, is really my favorite Angel release. It's a, it's a double album. It's a gatefold. Uh, let's check it out real quick. Man, Bob hooked you up. Yeah, these are these are, this is this is vinyl that I didn't have. It's it's a cool collage of just a bunch of live stuff. Um, this is like I said, this is probably my favorite uh, Angel record is the live album because out of the re out of the stack that I just sort of held up of studio records, this is like the greatest hits. Which yeah, we've heard we talk we say that kind of shit on Talk Louder all the time how the live album is like this kick-ass blender of all of the cool stuff about a band um and it sounds amazing uh this came out around the same time this live album anyway my eyes are bad came out in 1980 is it on casablanca this live album yes it is oh it's wow good. yeah and uh, the guy that produced the live record produced all their studio stuff, too. So they kind of have their own crew and their own guy. This was uh, Santa Monica Civic and Long Beach Arena. Wow. And then they doctored it up at the record plant, apparently, or they mixed it. Yeah, they mixed it at the record plant, which I've recorded at the record plant. So, wow. um, yeah. That's cool, man. It's really, really cool. And I have this one on CD. This is one that I have on CD. I have a couple of these on CD, but thank you, Bob Sutcliffe. Thank you very much. Uh, Dave, I really think that we need to, and it might be on the list. You might want to get me up to speed. Is uh, the show idea to do a show on uh, Casablanca Records, the label? Uh, uh, is that on our list? I don't know if it is, but we should Dude, put it should be because there's a lot of that's a way we could really branch out into all kinds of music because they signed disco and, you know, yeah. they were trying to make pop stars and Kiss was like their just first band they ever signed. Right. It was Well, it was a weird it was their first rock band. Maybe it was the first band because they were kind of already known for Donna Summer oh, and okay. Okay. stuff like that. But there's a really good book, speaking of dedicating a whole episode to Casablanca, there's a book called And Party Every Day. And okay. it's basically the story of the rise and fall of Casablanca Records. And uh, it's really interesting and entertaining, to say the least. Yeah, do you have the book? I don't, but I've read it. I, I, I okay. borrowed it from someone or checked it out on, from a library or something. Nice. I Okay, well, I just think that we ought to talk about that. And, uh, no, anyway, that's a good one. That's cheers, a good one. To, cheers to Bob Sutcliffe for the score, the massive yeah, ball. That's huge. Um, I got an email last night or the night before from a publicist, or actually I think he might even be the owner of this uh, indie record label called Spaghetti Town Records, and that's Spaghetti with a Y. And I think they're out of Atlanta, and the guy's name is Ted, and they call him Teddy Spaghetti. And uh, they're uh, the label. Yeah, the the yeah. 
the the label specializes in this real, you know, down and dirty like street rock that's uh, heavily influenced by punk, but it uh, it maintains a certain amount of rock and roll. So it's not straight up punk, but it's like punk influenced rock, and it's very street. And uh, he just sent me the new single uh, by this band called the Ravagers. And they're out of Baltimore, and they have an album coming out in September. Uh, the album is going to be called Badlands, and the single is a song called Down That Road. And uh, they have a video for it. You can already find that on YouTube. It's it's not a big secret, but uh, uh, the band features one of the guys that used to be in the that band, The Biters. Uh his name is, I believe his first name is Matt, last name Gabs, and he's one. he was one of the guitar players in The Biters, and now he's in this band, The Ravagers. And uh, it sounded great, man. It's very Dead Boys meets the Ramones, but uh, with, like, cut-off denim jackets. They look kind of like bikers, but they sound like the Dead Boys, you know? <laughs> very... Right very street, very heavy, very furious, uh, right up my alley, of course. Oh, so. yeah, it sounds like you're you're talking about, like, uh, you know, everything Metal Dave. Yeah, it's right Frank, up my alley. Frank, Frank County Daredevil Dave. <laughs> yeah, it's right up my alley. And this label, Spaghetti Town Records, uh, they, they turned me on to a few things that I really loved. Uh, they had a band called Dr. Boogie at one time that I thought put out a really great album, and then they just kind of disappeared. But that album was really good. And there was a band called Criminal Kids. I think they were from Chicago, but I gave that one a lot of spins uh, once the label sent it to me. So anyway, if you're into that real dirty, you know, punk influence, street rock kind of stuff. Uh, the Ravagers from Baltimore, uh, worth checking out. Today, we are dedicating our episode to Sammy Hagar. And, you know, Jason and I were talking about Sammy a couple weeks ago off camera, offline, I guess. And, uh, we realized the conversation just kept going and going because Sammy has, first of all, a very long and successful career, but he's so multifaceted and multidimensional, I guess. Uh, there's a lot of layers to his life. And, uh, you know, most people obviously point to his, uh, his years with Montrose and his solo career. And then, of course, you know, the superstardom with Van Halen. But there's so much more to him than than those three mega chapters in his life. And I thought we could get into some of that today because he really does come across as a, a very interesting personality. Uh, so, Jason, I'll kick it over to you. Uh, when's the first time Sammy came on your radar? I, I have three words for you. Montrose, Montrose. Montrose. Three words. I'm stuck on Montrose. Um, I, I, uh, it was late seventies, probably. I'm not quite sure what year that first Montrose self-titled came out. 73. Okay. Sammy was 23 years old in 73. 
young. That means he's he's got some rings in his trunk. Yeah. He's but got yeah. he's got some layers. He's long in the tooth. Yeah. Um, if he was twenty three and seventy three. So man, that kicks ass. God. It's really awesome that that kind of rock and roll that's below the belt buckle and just kicking you in the balls came out as early as 73. Oh, yeah. That kind of rock and roll. Um, I mean, there's, you know, Deep Purple and Black Sabbath and so many things that already, you know, sort of like sprung up. But I heard Rock Candy by these guys covered by these guys that were a few years older than me. Um, they were called, I want to say they were called Rocks, and uh, they actually rehearsed in my garage. Uh, that's a whole nother story. Uh, some of them went, you know, we went to the same school, which was right across the street from my house. And so basically they were we were all neighborhood kids to get kids together and i was in a lower grade with their younger siblings and i knew i knew you know the there were the older brothers of my my classmates kind of a thing yeah and i overheard them talking one day and they needed a place to practice and the story ends with me begging my mom hey i met these guys and you know, they live in the neighborhood, and they, I think you know some of their parents, and da 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 and Anyway, so my mom's so cool. She goes, yeah, they can rehearse in the garage and leave their stuff set up, and we can lock it or whatever. It wasn't really a garage. It was more like a a, a storage room with a, lock, with a door and lock on it, but the washer and dryer were out there. We kept our bikes in there. So it was a room. It was like a separate, had plumbing and stuff. Anyway, um. She said, yeah, if they play my Christmas party, they can they can practice out there. And I was like, score. <laughs> and, you know, they had marshals and like a, you know, a 15-piece drum kit, you know, with 12 toms. You know, Peter Chris style. And and it was they were a three-piece. I want to go to your mom's Christmas party. I yeah, should... no shit, right? And they I... did all the cover. Dude, That they played Legs Diamond. They played Montrose. They played the Cars. <laughs> They play. I learned a lot from these guys, and they were yeah. like, just a few years older, late seventies. Um, they played rock candy, and I'm like, "What the? Who? What's that?" And they're like, "Yeah, it's a Mont band, Montrose, and da 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 da." And you know, that's pre Van Halen for all you peeps out there. It's pretty much pre Van Halen. So, um, it's important to sort of tell a story like that so you can go wow rock, i love that song that's all yeah rock candy yo and so that was my introduction to montrose and i don't recall my older brothers who were my biggest influence my biggest influence as far as record collection and hand-me-downs and stuff like that don't remember them having that record um but that was the first introduction to montrose and then and then eventually I had more and more friends who might have been, again, a couple of years ahead of me. This dude, you got to get the record. So I, I ended up having that first record, and it just became a Bible of rock. Because yeah. every song just kicks ass. Yeah, you they know. Also covered those those guys also covered "Make It Last" off of that first Montrose record. Oh right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
we should uh, also mention, uh, I, I, I remember growing up in San Antonio, uh, a band that you and I are very familiar with called Presence. They used to cover Rock Candy. Of course they and, did. Uh, yeah. yeah. And um, uh, and that was a, a crowd favorite. They were a local favorite. They opened a lot of big national touring shows and whatever. But uh, that song had some legs in San Antonio because the local boys made good were you know, included it in their set. I remember, um, honestly, I think Sammy came on my radar probably first as a solo artist. And I want to say it was, uh, the song heavy metal from the heavy metal soundtrack. And then, uh, something from standing Hampton, uh, I'll fall in love again, maybe. And yeah, yeah that's yeah, good. Yeah. So and then I kind of worked my way again, living in San Antonio. Uh, Montrose was on the radio. I don't think I was aware that it was Sammy Hagar in that band. Uh, but I do remember Rock Candy, Space Station number five, which is a scorcher. Um, Rock the Nation. Oh, all day long. Rock the Nation. Yeah. So so uh, Bad, Bad Motor, Motor Scooter. Bad Motor Scooter, dude. It's the first song Sammy Hagar ever wrote, and it's just classic, you know. Uh, so that album, that first Montrose album, came out in 1973, and a lot of people, when they talk about great debut albums, they talk about Appetite for Destruction. They talk about the first Boston album. Uh, they talk about the first Van Halen album. Interesting uh, link there. Uh, but that Montrose album is a pretty strong debut album, and of course, it was the launching pad for a, a career for Sammy Hagar that continues to this day. We should mention uh, one of the things you and I hit on when we had this conversation uh, a couple of weeks ago was the fact that Ted Templeman produced that first Montrose record. Well, see, we we've mentioned this on Talk Louder before that Ted Templeman needs a, needs an episode. Maybe it was in the maybe it was in the waiting room before we hit record, but. The three of us, you, me, and Jared, were talking about Ted Templeman and and his, uh, you know, dedication and offerings to the the rock world. Um, his name is all over the place, and he's sort of one of those unsung heroes, kind of like a an Ezrin or even a Bob Rock, you know, for nerds who read the liner notes. Right. But but he, um, yeah, he was. He was he knew Sammy from way back then, and then met these kids in Van Halen. See, that's that's kind of a trickle yeah. down economic right there for you. So uh, Ted Templeman actually uh, got his start and maybe his first claim to fame or first brush with fame uh, with the Doobie Brothers, and Crap. Uh, in the early seventies, and then. Um, you know the song, whoa, listen to the music. Of that's course. A, All right. That's a mighty fine singing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> for you, buddy. Not compared to you. Uh, yeah, I, I, don't on even, tape. I don't even know why I'm singing on a, on a podcast with a singer. Because <laughs> you love rock and roll, man. <laughs> to be good, to be yeah. a man. Well, good, because it wasn't. But anyway, it, it, it obviously triggered your memory. But that's uh, Ted Templeman. So he got started with the Doobie Brothers. Then he ended up doing the couple of Montrose records. And then, interesting enough, there's this there's this 
thread that's going to weave throughout this episode because a lot of people aren't quite aware of all the links between Sammy Hagar and Van Halen before he became the front man for Van Halen. And one of them is Ted Templeman, who produced the first Montrose record and then did six consecutive albums with Van Halen, starting with the debut. So he did all the classic Roth stuff with Van Halen. So he's intertwined in this story as well. And uh, interesting, uh, interesting bit of trivia here on the Van Halen Fair Warning record. You know, the famous punchline that says, uh, come on, Dave, give me a break. And then Dave chimes in, hey, 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 one break coming up. What well, do you know who says, hey, Dave, give me a break? That's uh, Unchained. Is yeah. The yeah. They got the voice that uh, the voice that says, give me a break is Ted, Ted Templeman. Ted, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, I would I would have uh, it would be an easy guess uh, via the conversation we're having. The the only other voice it would be. And I don't see why or how or uh, you never know is Sammy. Yeah, or or Mike Anthony. You yeah, know. yeah. There's a well who, I mean, it's kind of like this synonymous like cool guy club we're sort of talking about with guys in Van Halen, uh, guys in Montrose. Um, let's talk about real quick. I I don't want to throw a, a a detour sign in the road here, but let's talk about the other cats in Montrose for a second the names you know I, who else was in on those old Montrose records well there was a guy named Bill Church I believe his first name was Bill Church uh, bass player uh, Denny Carmassi on drums you're, you're correct on bassist Bill Church Ronnie Montrose is Ronnie Horse course is it denny carmasi on the on drums yes you are very you are correct and so the thing is those guys all followed hagar out of montrose and were basically his backing band as a solo artist for a number yeah. of years yeah uh, there there was a uh, an alan fitzgerald Oh, yes. In 75. Who, if I'm not mistaken, is the same Fitzgerald that ended up in Night Ranger. Who was the keyboard player in Night Ranger, I believe. Oh, okay. Wow, that's just, that's crazy. Yeah. So, so yes, Hagar, you know, comes on the scene with Montrose, does two records with Montrose. Ted Templeman is the producer. This is sort of foreshadowing Sammy's future many years later. Uh, he leaves Montrose, takes the band with him, has a pretty successful solo career. I'll say. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to, um, one of the things that prompted sort of this episode is uh, I read this book, his his autobiography. I don't know if it's blurring out as I no, hope. It looks good. Don't mess up. Don't break your camera. Yeah. Yeah, that, that looks... Sammy yeah. Hagar, tw uh, 2011, I believe this came oh, out. Man. It's his autobiography. It's called Red. And it's a really, really, really interesting story, uh, which is why I kind of wanted to do this episode, and you were you were right along with me there. Man, I'm but happy um, it's an easy read. It's like 250 pages or something. But when you... The thing I like about Sammy is, and reading this book will give you a whole new appreciation for him if you don't already have an appreciation for him. 
and he really came from nothing, dude. I mean, he grew up working, you know, picking fruit in the fields. Uh, his dad was an alcoholic. His dad was a brawler. His dad was always in trouble. Uh, the, the, the family situation was completely unstable. They were in and out of different homes all the time. Uh, his dad was a, a boxer of sorts. I don't know if he was semi-professional or whatever, but there was a time when Sammy was going to be a boxer. He was sort of following in his, in his father's footsteps. And, you know, Sammy had a very difficult relationship with his father for, for the reasons I just said, you know, he was an alcoholic. He was always in fights. He was the kind of guy that couldn't go to a family reunion without beating up all the uncles and, you know, that, as you can imagine, makes for a, movie. yeah, it sounds like, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make light of the situation, no, but it's, it sounds like uh, a Chevy Chase movie gone really bad, but, um, I love that. Yeah. But so Sammy, so Sammy grew up in, uh, in, an, in a pretty difficult situation, but even as a young kid, he had paper routes, he knew how to make money, he he learned, he was taught and learned how to appreciate things. Um, and I think that is a big piece of what drives him even to this day, his ambition. Um, there's parts in that book. A lot of people know that later on in his life, he, of course, uh, started the Cabo Wabo tequila empire and made a fortune off of that. Uh, but what people may not know is he's been sort of this entrepreneurial spirit since way back when, even before Montrose, he was a he, he was a co-investor or a manager of an apartment complex. So that would have been in his 20s. He was already. Yeah, he was already showing signs of exact. this. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, he was in on the ground floor of uh you know, every every apartment complex that you can think of these days has indoor sprinkler systems as a fire prevention method. Well, there was a time, and you and I might even remember this time, <laughs> when those weren't required by law. But once they started becoming required by law, Sammy and a buddy of his, it might have even been his brother-in-law or something, they invested in this sprinkler business. And so they were making money installing sprinkler systems that were now required by law at a time when nobody had, nobody thought of this. And so he was in on the ground level of that as a money-making endeavor. He was also one of the first guys in California. California is where a lot of these outdoor sports trends get started. But the whole mountain biking craze, he got in on the ground level of a mountain biking endeavor where they were making mountain bikes. And all of a sudden, his brand of mountain bike was one of the best sellers in California. So Sammy's always had this really ambitious entrepreneurial drive. And I just find that fascinating. And we'll get into the tequila thing later, but this is where it all started, you know. Um, and I think it might have been his way of, you know, succeeding coming from such a broken home and not really having a great role model as far as his father was concerned. It was kind of his way of saying, I got to figure out a way to get out of here and I'm going to try a number of different things and I'm going to stick to them and I'm going to give them all I've got. And he was very successful. It was pretty so it, interesting. So it, it sounds to me like, uh, 
not to recap the whole thing, but just to chime in here and say, at a very young age, this was something that he was determined. Very determined, to do. yes. Uh, I think that, let's talk about, <clears throat> let's tie it in somehow. Obviously, he learned how to play guitar. Obviously, he learned how to sing. Obviously, he learned how to, you know, play music and, and, and be an entertainer. And, you know, um, in the middle of his entrepreneur uh, calling. Yeah. All of these things he was into, and I want to say it again. You're talking about a time period. He's in his 20s. By the time he was in his mid twenties, by by seventy five, he would have been like twenty five. I'll, I'll tell you what. That's crazy. I, if I were, when I think about my twenty five self, <laughs> I sound like a like like a dumbass. <laughs> and I compare, when I stack it up to Sammy, I'm like, dude, we all do. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. So so that's another reason I, I think it's um. Sammy's full-on worthy. I mean, there's a lot of people that we could do an episode on, but giving every... It doesn't even matter if you're a, a, a Van Halen fan, a, a, a Montrose fan, a Sammy Hagar fan. He's got a thousand bands. Yeah, you know, He's been involved in a hundred things. It doesn't matter if you don't like his music, his art, or whatever. You got to give it up to the guy who is biting and scratching and having a great fucking time doing it. Because have you ever seen Sammy not having a good time in the press? In the it, 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 there's no there's no bad mojo with the guy. There's no like a uh, terrible disastrous story that follows him around. Right. He, he, I'm sure he has his bad days, but he never projects it publicly. He's, he's like, that's another thing I just love about him. He just looks like the kind of guy and sounds like the kind of guy you would just totally want to hang out with because you're just guaranteed a great time. He's and that cool comes across hey, in, he's the cool uncle. Yeah. And it comes across in his concerts, you know? Um, yeah. And, and I, I tell you what, if, if even if music didn't happen for Sammy, he would be doing just fine, dude, because he, like I said, that entrepreneurial spirit, uh, whether he was doing mountain bikes or sprinkler systems or tequila or opening restaurants or whatever, he's the kind of guy that's going to find one or 10 different endeavors. And he's just going to capitalize on every single one of them because he's got that sort of smarts and he's got that personality, I think, that draws uh smart people to him, you know, people that he can collaborate with, whether it's music, whether it's business, whatever. That's interesting. And I mentioned this a couple episodes back. Uh, I saw something where I, he may have been in, in Austin for South by Southwest because it looked familiar. I saw this on, I, can't even remember public access. Maybe it was Sammy Hagar in a very small room, like a rehearsal room or something. And they were, they had filmed it and, and put it, put it on this. I want to say it was a public access. It could have been access TV, that cable thing. Anyway, it was, it just looked 
sort of thrown together. Um, he wasn't in the best shape vocally. He sounded like he'd been busy, you know. He had a little crust on his voice. Yeah. Dude, um, uh, McDaniel, the, the guy from Run DMC, the McDaniels guy. I, I can't think of I feel I terrible. The guy, Ryan guys. McDaniel, the, the, the guy from, in, you know, Run DMC. It's the DMC. Yeah. Oh, Daryl McDaniel. Daryl McDaniel. There you Is go. Is that it? Is that that's it? Right. Yeah. That's anyway. Right. Don't sue me for not being able to pull that name. <laughs> I, I'm, I love Run DMC, but I can't think of the guy's name right now. Um, if you, I'm he, with you. he gets in there and raps over Rock Candy. Oh. He nice. gets in there and starts rapping over Rock Candy. And, yeah. And then they have a little interview section. They're sitting on stools and they're just, they're just talking, just hanging out. Sammy Hagar. And DMC, yeah, and and uh, he's like he's like man, we used to we used to cut your record, you know, uh, Jam Master J, our DJ who's no longer with us, used to cut Rock Candy all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's Perfect. kind of like it's kind of like Led Zeppelin levy breaks. Yeah, right? that's yeah. what kind of Montrose is kind of going for on Rock Candy. But he said they used to loop that drum groove and just rap over it till the sun came up, and that was where that was where their that was the basis of their uh, them joining together and having a little jam. Yeah, but it was it was a little bit off the cuff, and you know might have had some cheese here and there, but you know what? I think that that's a very cool sort of window into how like how chill Sammy is. Yeah, you know, another thing that uh, comes up in the in the book, uh, he talks about his place down in uh, in Mexico, the Cabo Wabo Cantina, and you played there, I believe, with Broken yeah. Teeth. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it was a battle of the bands that KOBJ uh, Radio in Austin had put on. It was a summertime thing and a um, bunch of bands. And they did this in different markets all over the states. Yeah. And it was like, you know, the winner from this, you know, and the win from this market and the winner from that market, et cetera, went down and played the big finals down at Cabo Wabo. Did you meet Sammy? Was he there? Briefly. And I had met him... Uh, briefly again, uh, on, on, at the Van Halen show for unlawful carnal knowledge tour. Yeah. The story that some of you might recall where I'm in Sammy's dressing room and, and <laughs> Eddie walks in, we're Sam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was around the same time. And that's how I know that, cause I got my, I had a, I had my buddy Jeff Tweedy get my CD cover. I didn't want him to carry around the whole vinyl. I wanted something to him for Tweedy to put in his pocket. But Tweedy got me, uh, autographed my Montrose CD cover. Yeah. And uh, anyway, uh, well, yeah, the, the, we, we got to choose the song and we chose Heavy Metal. Oh, nice. Yeah. 
that song's a stomper, man. That's yeah. a great song. And uh, and we won and got to go down there, and then uh, we didn't win it down there, but we got to go to Cabo and hang out. The hotel was amazing. It was right on the beach, and it was just exact. It was like a postcard. So. Yeah. The reason I bring up the club is uh, you were talking about how chill he seems to come across. And every year, of course, he has his birthday party in October down there at the club. And, you know, of course, he's rock royalty at this point. So his his guest list, if you will, is just a star studded thing. You know, he's got Jerry Cantrell and he's got John Entwistle and he's got Slash and all these people come down there and they hang out. And he gets into some of the stories in the book about some of these people and and it, it's really it's 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 pretty hilarious. There's a really hilarious story about Stephen Stills from uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash. Uh, I won't spoil it for anybody because uh, I want you to go read the book. It's really good. And like I said, it's about 250 pages. It's a quick, easy read, but it's very insightful. Uh, but he's very um, open and honest about the shenanigans and the things that go on at his birthday party. And uh I found that to be to be pretty interesting. One of the things that uh, the book is also very good at sort of uh, describing is the contentious relationship towards the end uh, with uh, especially Eddie Van Halen. Um, He's you know, they did. uh, He had his run. His run with Van Halen was from 85 to 95, 96. And then they split, and then they had this reunion tour in 2002 that, by most accounts, was a complete disaster because Eddie was back on the booze and he was not performing well on stage. And then apparently off stage, he was just a complete madman, just, you know, a, a complete lunatic. Uh, but one of the things that, one of the stories in the book is, you know, Eddie had. Uh, Sammy signed a contract that said, when you're on stage with us, you're not allowed to wear any T-shirts with the Cabo Wabo logo. You're not allowed to talk about Cabo Wabo tequila. You're not allowed to reference your bar in Mexico or whatever. And Sammy was like, "Um, okay, fine. So Sammy goes out and gets a Cabo Wabo tattoo (laughs) because he knows as the front man of the band, he's going to get plenty of camera time on those big widescreen, those huge screens they use in the arenas or whatever. And he's just going to have this, you know, his sleeves cut off and he's going to have the Cabo Wabo logo tattooed on him. And he's like, I'm not wearing a shirt. Screw you, Eddie. And that just drove Eddie insane. You know, <laughs> well, I thought that was funny. I mean, who's the, who's the bad guy? Is it, you know, I mean, I understand, I kind of under just, I mean, being in the business, I, I say loosely as much as I say it concrete, uh, Eddie's being just being smart. He's just being smart. Yeah. And, you know? I, and, and, and if he's having the management or lawyers draw that stuff up and Sammy signs it and it's all good and they can have a working relationship and he still wants he thinks getting a Cabo a Cabo Wabo tattoo is is smart. <laughs> uh, smart because Sammy is also a businessman. So there's you got you got a lot of cooks in the kitchen when Sammy Hagar is your singer. 
Yeah. Well, I just thought it was a great workaround on, on his part, you know, and, it, and, you know, had they had a, a more agreeable relationship, it probably would have never been an issue. But at that point they were so at each other's throats and Eddie just wasn't and Eddie, according to the book anyway, I mean, he was walking around with a bottle of wine in his hand 24 seven. He, he wasn't bathing. His teeth were falling out. He was a complete mess according to Sammy's book. Uh, so there was no reasoning with him. Uh, I think he, you know, Sammy sort of suggests that maybe Eddie felt like, you know, Sammy's have Sammy's living his best life. He's having a good time. And Eddie's kind of miserable. He's been divorced. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's struggling with alcohol. He's not performing well. The press isn't kind to him because he's, he's screwing up every performance. Uh, that was another thing in that in, in the book. Uh, if anyone went to that reunion tour, and if you see any of the photos from that tour, this was about a, this was a time when Eddie would come out without a shirt and he'd have his hair all pulled up in like a samurai sort of ponytail thing. And Sammy said that when he saw him come out like that, he knew it was on. Man, he's like, oh boy, this guy is eight sheets to the wind, and here we go, because that was sort of the cue. That was Sammy's. Sammy's hint that uh, all was not right with Eddie Van Halen when he comes out and his hair up in that, uh, you know, that samurai sword or samurai warrior kind of hairstyle. And I've seen the photos from that period and Eddie looks, you know, pretty scrawny. He looks like he's in pretty bad health. But anyway, again, I keep I don't mean to keep harping on the book, but the, the reason I wanted to. Uh, have this episode is because the book does a very good job of delving into the many different layers of Sammy Hagar. What do you remember about HSAS? Do you remember HSAS? The, the um, had with Neil Sean? No. Who else was in that? I mean, I saw, I remember seeing some videos on MTV. Um, who, the, HSAS was an acronym for Hagar, Sean, Aronson, and Shreve. And Kenny Aronson was the bass player in Billy Squire, the guy with the pompadour haircut, the, the yeah. pomp slicked up hair. And Shreve was a drummer for Santana for a number of years. So it was kind of a super group. And they did one album. It was called Through the Fire about 1984, I think. And uh, they did a... They had some hits on the. They had some songs on the radio, at least in San Antonio. I think the song that got the most nationwide play was their cover of Procol Harum's "Whiter Shade of Pale." Mm. But in San Antonio, that album also got uh, the songs that got played uh, were "Missing You" and "Top of the Rock." I know you know "Top of the Rock." Standing on top, down on down on the top of the rock, down yeah, yeah, That sounds familiar, but I had obviously forgotten about that. Well, it is kind of a footnote in his career, but uh, I know a lot of Sammy fans that you know love that album dearly and kind of hold it up in high regard, interesting, uh, and think it should have been more than a footnote because it really did have some quality stuff on it, but uh, didn't want to do a Sammy. So I have to take a time out and confess that as much respect as I have for Sammy and that the first three words I said in this episode, our main topic were mantras, mantras, mantras. Um, 
there's a lot of Sammy Hagar that I have a lot of tunes that I have respect for, but there's a the, there's some cheese that I that I had a hard time kind of like stomaching uh, in some of Sammy's solo stuff, the Red Rocker stuff. Agreed. Um, I thought I think that some there's some riffs and there's some songs and there's some there's some things about it that I when I I sort of like just rediscover or just hear just like wow that's actually kick ass you know yeah. where I, I I'm more of the headbanger type and listen to a lot of heavy stuff but um, becoming sort of a you know directing shows at, at for my job and like coming up with material for people to learn and you know, learning techniques um, from uh, you know from uh, basically cover songs and and the educational value of this song or that song I've discovered some Sammy Hagar songs yeah. that have a look there's a there's there's no slouching going on there's some fantastic songwriting going on and I find out that uh, there's a lot of things on Standing Hampton that, like, I, I don't have that record, but it, I want it, I need to buy it because I know there's some things on there that I need. Yeah. Yeah, that was his first record for Geffen. He came out of a, his solo career started on Capitol Records, and he felt that they weren't, uh, they weren't uh, aligned with what he wanted to do. They were trying to make him uh, more of a, a pop rock kind of guy. Like I, I read somewhere that they were trying to get him to do like Otis Redding covers and this sort of thing. And he was more of a hard rocker kind of guy. And so he eventually got out of the Capitol records contract, by the way, he did some uh, pretty good records on, while he was signed to Capitol. There's uh, nine on a 10 scale and street machine. Um, but Geffen, and in fact, I think he had to sue to get out of that contract with Capital, and then he ended up on Geffen, and that's where Standing Hampton, uh, that was the first record uh, that he did with Geffen. And that's about, that's also interesting enough, that's when he started taking off commercially, you know. Ah, interesting. You know, I, I can hear, um, he's, he's just, let's talk about his voice just for two seconds, because I like this chronological record release you're talking about. I mean, He's undeniably got this kick-ass, like, he he can he can turn it on. And he yeah. can also sound, uh, he can also be sort of, like, emotional uh, in every way with his voice and his tone and his grit. And yeah. even when he cleans it up a little bit, he does emote different things as what the song is calling for. Um, he is a songwriter. He doesn't have to necessarily just write a rock song it doesn't really surprise me dave when you tell me that capital wanted him to be like a crooner like a motown kind of a guy yeah. listen to this and i'm not trying to dog anyone out here but you think about michael bolton's voice yeah. and michael bolton is a great singer but he really just caught a lot of a lot of crap like a Kip Winger caught a lot of crap. It doesn't make Kip Winger not a good singer. The guy's an incredible musician. Yeah. But Michael Bolton and Sammy Hagar have this voice that's this tone and this grit and this similarities. And Michael Bolton was sort of going for a Motown. They were selling Michael Bolton as a Motown kind of a guy, too. 
Right. So I can hear that them trying to probably make Sammy Hagar. I mean, they ended up with Michael Bolton because Sammy Hagar said, fuck you, I'm going to go play rock and roll. Right. And the funny another, thing. Another reason for us to like praise Sammy. Yeah, exactly. He's pretty much going to do what Sammy wants to do. And how can they deny him with his personality and go-go? He's right. got go-go, man. Right. And the funny thing is uh, that, you know, you bring up Michael Bolton. He actually started off as kind of a rock guy and then they turned him into something different. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Someone gave him some money and 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 said, here, wear this and do this. And he, and yeah. he did it. He drank he was in a band called Blackjack. And I want to say one of the Kulik brothers was in that band. Doesn't uh, doesn't surprise me. Uh, probably was Bob, I, I guess. But. Yeah, uh, Michael Bolton, you know, most people don't know because that part of his career wasn't in the national spotlight. It was kind of before he was famous. He became famous as sort of the Motown crooner kind of guy, the easy listening sort of dude. But he was a rocker. Your story about Sammy reminded me of that. About how no, that, that's a great that's was, a great was was lost in the same area and started out a rocker and got sort of created. And that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Another thing uh, that's, that, that is interesting about the, the Sammy book, and this is true, I think, of anybody uh, that was trying to make it in the 70s. This is back in an era when, you know, bands would tour the entire country in a station wagon, you know, back and forth, back and forth. I mean, putting on ungodly amounts of miles in really cramped quarters in the most unreliable transportation. Everybody thinks of Sammy Hagar. He's this big rock star. Well, you know, and, and they just travel by bus and plane and all this stuff. But Sammy Here you go. Here you go. Hey, hey, Meemaw, can we borrow your station wagon to go on tour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, I mean, you know, the Partridge family bus would have been an upgrade, you know. It's like, and so he's paying his dues, man. He's paying his dues. And uh, I'm glad you brought up his voice because I don't want to I don't want to leave the episode without mentioning his voice. He he easily has one of the most distinctive rock hard rock voices ever. You know when you hear Sammy Hagar on the radio, and it's held up really well too. I mean, I've seen him in recent years, and he still sounds fantastic. So more here's power to him on that front. Yeah, here's a here's something that uh, a friend of mine. This was years ago, and I thought it was kind of funny, and he wasn't wrong in this might fit in the uh, the the folder that says Velveeta on it a little bit. There's a little bit of redneck uh, going on with Sammy and his, you know, I can't drive 55 and, you know, just the whole red rocker thing and the, the whole tequila shot thing and the party dude kind of thing. And Yeah. And, and you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Um, the, uh, you know, the, he's, he's an eighties parachute pants wearing headband wearing, you know, <laughs> like, you know, he, he was wearing sleeves cut off before anyone. Yeah. And he invented cutting the sleeves off. <laughs> you know what I mean? He influenced John Hughes movies and he influenced the, you know, the character of the, 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 uh, troublemaker and the breakfast club and the troublemaker and the you know what i mean and stranger things there's a kid wearing uh it's 80s and not 70s but there's a kid wearing you know 
I don't know, some heavy metal shirt and he drives a Camaro and he's got a mullet, you know, it, it's like <laughs> Sammy Hagar created that shit. Yeah, and man. There's something cool about that. There really, yeah. really is. There's something really cool about that. But his voice, you know, when, uh, uh, you know, that Van Halen song, it's got what it takes. Yeah. This one, this, this perfect, perfect example of, <laughs> Velveeta and the the thing and whatever, you know when he's going, you know, yeah, what? No, that that's not my Sammy Hagar, you know. But anyway, there's this one little part where he's like, whoa, here I come, you know. There's this thing he doesn't. It just is like, no, dude, stop, just stop, because it kind of made me want to leave the room, you know. I was like, I can't listen to this Sammy Hagar. But anyway, a friend of mine was pointing that out and was just like rolling his eyes and it's like, come on, Sammy, what the hell are you? Really? 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 And, and Eddie's okay with this? Come on. You know, it's like Eddie was probably his biggest cheerleader. Eddie was probably going, you know, yeah, that sounds great. Do that. You know, but Eddie might have been doing shots. Too. Right, right. I have to agree with you. Sammy, Sammy was lining up the shots. Yeah. I have to agree with you 100%. Uh, one of my one of my dear friends, uh, Buzz, who you know, is like a huge Van Halen fan. And we have this discussion. Uh, we've had this discussion many times. Um, and I I can I have to I cringe a lot when I listen to Sammy's lyrics, especially with the Van Halen stuff back in the Montrose days. And uh, some of the solo stuff is not too bad. But some of the Van Halen lyrics are pretty cringe cringeworthy. And um, and it makes me think because, you know, he's got that excellent voice and he's got the the band. I mean, he's got Van Halen behind him. And some of the lyrics just sound like uh, some kid in middle school wrote him or something, you know. Well, I think he's he's, I think that he's trying to get on the tailgaters level, the professional tailgater. He wants them to buy his fucking record. Yeah, he might be dumbing it down on purpose. I think that that's just part of Sammy Hagar's DNA is to like, let's. He's all about the little guy. You can survive in a world. You can a country boy can survive. It's that kind of a. Yeah. He's talking to, uh, you know, the little guy all the time, and I love that. It's adorable, actually, um, because I'm the little guy. I'm, part, I've got some tailgater in me. You know. Yeah. You yeah. Know, so that's why there's a lot of respect for Sammy because he knows how to do that. Well, he's, that's his, his that's, chameleon. He's that's, chameleon. His, that's his whole persona. And I think that's why he goes over well live. That, that's why he goes over so well live because he's just a party dude at a bar. He just has the stage and the mic, you know, um, but he's so relatable. And some of that is his personality. And some of it is, you know, Hey, it's dumbed down. Maybe admittedly it's dumbed down, you know, it's like, Hey, we're all here to have a good time and forget about the world and the troubles and all that stuff. And screw it. You know, let's go for the lowest common denominator. Yeah. Well, you know, do, 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 Okay. Next. Yeah. I, um, I, uh, I've interviewed Sammy a couple of times and I wanted to, I wanted to share a story. I interviewed him once in 1999 and it was hilarious because he was, uh, he was, he, he called me, 
from a cell phone on a tour bus that was rolling down the highway in the middle of God knows where. And so we started the interview and he tells me, we're out in the middle of nowhere, so if my cell phone cuts out, I'll call you back. Don't worry. I'll call you back. And so we're talking for a while and the signal starts to get a little spotty and he goes, he says, okay, uh, okay, don't forget, if I lose you, I'm going to call you right back, so don't worry. And he goes, because you know I'm not done talking. <laughs> and sure enough, we lost signal. He called me back six times, dude, six. I mean, he is a man of his word. He called back six times. And the funny thing was, every time he called me back and I picked up the phone and answered, he never once said, okay, where were we? He was just like, so anyway, blah, 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 And then the signal goes dead. And then he calls me back. And so, blah, 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 Just like he never. It doesn't surprise me one bit. Never lost his train of thought. It was like, no, nothing ever happened. No interruption whatsoever. But he literally called me back six times. And I was grateful that he did, because if he hadn't, I wouldn't have had an interview. So thank you, Sammy, for your less, persistence. Less art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, he's he's definitely got uh, some rock and roll Jesus to him. Um, his whole perspective and how to survive and adapt and uh, pretty creative. I think that his songwriting, we should get back to his chronological records a little bit. Sure. Because you were on a roll, Geffen years. Um, I think that he, what about, what about, real quick, what about him playing guitar on stage standing next to Eddie Van Halen? That's a weird I've, I saw that, and I'm like, whoa, that's just weird looking. It's weird seeing, seeing Sammy Hagar with a guitar on standing next to Eddie Van Halen on stage. Well, seeing anyone with a guitar standing next to Eddie Van Halen is weird. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. But, you know, think about it. I mean, Sammy was, you know, he was a front man who played guitar. I mean, once in a while he'd put the guitar aside, I guess, and just sing straight into the mic. But... uh I mean, he made his career, I mean, his solo career, he was a guitar-playing frontman, you know? Well, and, you know, real quick, some people probably wouldn't have even thought of, you know, my brain is different than your brain, but you're thinking the same thing. There are millions of people that are like, what do you mean? Sammy Hagar plays guitar? I'm a Sammy Hagar fan. Of course he plays guitar. It's like, well, I know he plays guitar, but you know, watch yeah. some old Montrose videos, Sammy's not playing guitar because Ronnie Montrose is the fucking guitar player. Yeah. So that's how my brain works because, uh, but, but someone who grew up, you know, who was born in late seventies or something and becomes a Hagar fan in the middle of the eighties with, I can't drive 55 at the age of 15. They're going to, they'll be used to it. What do you mean? Van Halen with, Van Hagar is awesome. Yeah, he should play guitar. And you know what? Eddie was probably going, yeah, dude, get your guitar. Sure, because Eddie's probably thinking it fattens up the sound, and you know, and if you can pull it off, pull it off, dude. Well, here's the deal. Eddie, um, Eddie is thinking also, he's also thinking that uh, we're going to sell a lot of records having Sammy in the band. Sure. All his or concert tickets, too, because all his fans are Van Halen fans. This is a double whammy. Um, yeah. Is it true? Talking to the brain. 
of Metal Dave. <laughs> is it true that Van Halen sold more records when Sammy was in the band than Rock? I believe that is true, yes. I think it is too. Yeah. That sold more. That's so take more. so take your do 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 all the way to the bank. <laughs> yes, so there's or someone would say, Jason, stick that do 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 up there when the sun's <laughs> yeah. Or something. Yeah. yeah, they they I mean it was I mean it was pretty incredible. I mean, granted, Sammy was an established artist, but you're talking about one of the biggest bands in the world, Van Halen, fronted by one of the most recognizable frontmen in the world. It just spelled recipe for disaster when Roth left, you know? Yeah. And, okay, sure, you're going to bring in a guy who's an established uh, solo artist, and he's got some recognition, and he's obviously talented, but is it going to be Van Halen? And people just ate it up. I think they had yeah. their first number one album with Hagar. They sold more records with Hagar. They continued to do huge business on the on the touring circuit. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, he brought that band a whole new second career and a more lucrative one at that, you know? So, you know, you can argue again, you know, we can argue about the cheese factor in the vocals or whatever, but he made a lot of people happy, including uh, his accountant and his manager and Eddie and Alex and Mike. Well, obviously he made Michael Anthony happy because when the shit went down, and couldn't be around Eddie anymore. Michael just said, "Yeah, I'm going with Sammy." Yeah, and so that's a that's probably a different sort of background. But well, you know, one of the things that you hear about uh, any documentary or article or whatever about Van Halen is, you know, first of all, there's blood in the mix. You got brothers. There's yeah. family. So Alex and Eddie are always going to be on the same team. So the other guys are always either going to have to unite and put up uh, and be able to push back together, or they're never going to uh, have, have, you know, have any skin in the game. And Sammy and Mike were there and their personalities are kind of the same. They see, they strike me as both being kind of easygoing guys. They like to have a good time. Uh, they don't take this whole thing as, you know, nutball serious as as eddie and, and alex um so it just makes perfect sense that michael gravitated towards sammy when things were getting sour well and you know it's not like they i mean they'd known each other since the 70s so yeah it's, yeah it's all, yeah it's all blood that's all blood that's why it was a no-brainer to get sammy when when roth scared them a little bit so yeah so so let's go to the Geffen years and roll through this really quick. I knew this was going to be an elongated episode, and um, that's rightful to Sammy. And yeah, so you got Standing Hampton. Roll yeah. through those if you have a chronological list. Uh, I mean, I'm going to wing it off the yeah, top. Yeah, that's of my fine. Head. That's fine. But uh, the Geffen year started with Standing Hampton. I believe that was followed by. Three Lock Box. Followed yeah, I love by that song. I love Three Lock Box. Three Lock Box. Yeah. So, that was a riff. Yeah. I remember the video. Yeah. That was a big, big album for yes. him. And yes. then that was followed by VOA, uh, Voice of America, which is yeah. the album that had I Can't Drive 55, which, of course, was a massive hit yeah. that 
he still has to play to this day. Uh, oh, that's what there, happens. There may have been, that's kind of when I lost it, but those three albums right there, all back to back, was that was a pretty lucrative period in his career. During that right there, it just, it just feels like uh, Sammy is like the heavy metal Huey Lewis. You, yeah. You, you like that? You get that? I like that. I like that. I've yeah, always like, called like them. Sammy, Sammy's tunes could have been in the Back to the Future type. You know yes. I mean? Like anything yeah. Huey Lewis, that could have that could have easily been a Sammy, a version of Sammy. I like that. I, I, I'm I buying that. I'm buying that. Sam, I'm a Huey Lewis fan. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. An amazing songwriter. So, so if if he, I've always thought of Sammy in you know move on to the next decade, the '90s or what. I can totally see that in the '80s that he, that Sammy is the heavy metal Huey Lewis, and then later on, I think he became the heavy metal Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> well, <laughs> with the tequila and the flip flop. I'm, I'm I mean that's funny, but I'm not laughing because what it's the dude? Yes, yeah. It's, yeah. So this is the lifeline if you're the party dude who who fronts Montrose, which was this kick-ass, bluesy, hard rock band that was, you know, sort of like uh, uh, very much of sort of a founding father, in a way, to some some type of American heavy metal. Sure. Just riffs on the pre-Van Halen godfather of American heavy metal because, dude— on fire. I mean, they're, you know, running with the devil. There's, you know, there's shit that's on the first Van Halen record that's, dude, that's heavy metal. Dude, and, and let's not forget the their influence went across the ocean. Iron Maiden used to, in yes. fact, they recorded, they recorded yes. I've Got the Fire. Yes. And yeah. Space Station Number 5. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Iron Maiden covering Montrose. Yeah. Steve Harris loves Montrose. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, so, so much so, so much so that they didn't just play this as sound check. They committed it to vinyl. They recorded these songs. I don't want to do it again, but Montrose, Montrose, Montrose. Montrose yeah, I want to. I want to end with something uh, related to because I said I would come back to this, and I, I think it's important because a lot of people, when they think of rock and roll businessmen they automatically think of Gene Simmons. And for, for good reason, I understand. But Sammy Hagar sold his tequila empire for $91 million, dude. $91 million. I bet he made more off tequila than he made in Van Halen. I bet he made more off tequila than he made in his whole entire musical career put together. $91 million on your sideline gig, dude? That's crazy. You're going to scare some people with that. <laughs> That's uh, insane. When you when you kind of think like that, <clears throat> I believe this to be a fact, that um, Ian Anderson, I hope I'm saying that right, from Jethro Tull. Yes. Yep. The, create, the Jeth... The, the lead singer, the leader of Jethro Tull, right? Made more money, makes currently, don't know, made more money off of his fishing fleet off the coast of Scotland somewhere uh -huh. than he did, than he ever did 
with Jethro Tull. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't even I didn't even know he had that as a sideline gig, but yeah, that's the he's a fisherman. He owns a fishing fleet. It's How probably that? some huge company off the coast of Scotland. And yeah, this was this was just coffee table talk one day years ago, and it blew my mind. It's relative to what you're saying about uh, the Wabarita. You know, well, the, the, thing, the, the thing the thing I really admire about the Sammy Hagar tequila thing is, you know, the, the tequila was called and is still called uh, Cabo Wabo. That's the brand name. And it goes back to what I started this whole episode with his entrepreneurial spirit. Now, he's not a guy that just threw a bunch of money at some people and said, I want a tequila brand. He was going down to Mexico. He was doing the research. He was studying agave plants, for God's sake. He was getting into the chemistry of tequila, the manufacturing process. How do you bottle this stuff? How do I label it? How do I ship it around the world? I mean, he was hands-on in every aspect of that. He didn't just throw his money at it and said, hey, I want a brand, I want a tequila brand, slap my name on it, you know? He was in the factories, in the manufacturing, you know, in the desert, you know, checking out agave plants, which ones are good, which ones aren't so good. I mean, he was, he had his nose in it, man. And that's, that's impressive. That's, that's really a, impressive. That's, that means he loves tequila. Yeah. <laughs> He's in love with tequila and tequila is obviously in love with him. 91 million. Thank you very much. $91 million. Doesn't that just blow your mind? That's, in, that's, yeah, insane. I can't. My my small brain doesn't doesn't soak yeah. that up. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't yeah. make me want to drink tequila anymore. <laughs> I just don't. I don't. Well, anyway. I yeah. I you know. I'm glad we talked about uh, uh, Sammy Hagar today because I, I'll admit I don't have a ton of Sammy Hagar records. When I think about you know my favorite bands, my favorite musicians, I'll admit it. Sammy Hagar is not. Uh, necessarily one of my go-to guys, but I have an immense amount of respect for him as an artist, as a businessman, as a human being. And again, reading the book and finding out that he came from very humble beginnings, and that might be putting it uh, generously. I mean, he has really made a great life for himself. And I mean, if that's not the American dream, I don't know what is. So my hat's off to Sammy Hagar. What a great career. What a great vocalist. Uh, what a catalog of records and uh, more power to him for all his uh, business endeavors being so successful. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of crazy um, to think that just how long he's been um, a known, a, a, a famous musician. Almost 50 years. Yeah. 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 So half a century. Life, yeah, he's a lifer. Uh, he's still doing it. I remember there were some quotes from him in the press during the lockdown that were a little bit uh, sorted. Do you remember these quotes? No. <laughs> he was quoted as saying, uh, "Hey, I'll go out and play a show if someone wants to wants to play a show." And you know, I think it was a little bit uh, um. Sort of like he wouldn't he wouldn't thought out very well. He's like, hey, if that's how I'm gonna go, well, that's how I'm gonna go. I'll, you know, if I'm gonna catch COVID and die, I'm gonna do it rocking. You know, yeah. just it was just party dude. It was party <laughs> dude talking. 
talk. It was yeah. tailgater talk, you know, and I was just reading that going, you know, and I hope I'm not misquoting because I'm, I'm not saying it like there's, I'm not judging anybody. Um, no, now that you say that, I do recall something yeah, that being, I think it was a little, you know, don't yeah. shoot yourself in the foot, Sam, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, uh, that obviously it, when you think about what's going on, it's like, that's kind of telling everybody it's okay to, to, you know, not follow the rules and get a little too close to each other. It would have been a super spreader. Yeah, for sure. Tailgaters to not be careful. And, you know, it's the COVID super spreader all. Thank you, Sammy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I remember that. So he, he's a little, he's a little rock and roll crazy, which is also, that's, that's, I'm okay with that. You see? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I do want to also say, uh, before we close that, uh, you know, despite the contentious relationship that he had with Eddie Van Halen towards the end of their, uh, their working together, um, I really got the sense when Eddie passed away last year and you saw Sammy, uh, doing interviews or whatever that, that he really did have a lot of love for Eddie. And I think, I think that is because I don't know how you can't have a lot of love for someone that you spent 10 years or more just standing on top of the world to, to quote Sammy Hagar. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal what they accomplished together, just absolutely phenomenal. And I think if you have a working relationship with somebody and you're that successful, yes, behind closed doors, you're throwing bottles at each other and you're spitting and you're cursing and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, I don't think you can look back on that and not feel some kinship, some love, some brotherhood, uh, because man, not a lot of people get to do that in this, in this lifetime. And, and you don't just dismiss that. So I, I feel like he was very sincere and deeply saddened when uh when eddie passed away and i was kind of i was kind of glad to see that side of him it kind of if you're a fan it made you feel like there was some closure even though maybe sam and eddie never had the face-to-face closure as a fan i felt like okay he did love him he did recognize that they they accomplished a lot together and um I thought that was important and, and just sort of genuine, you know, again, going back to the, the, the human being that Sammy Hagar is, I think that's one of the uh, reasons people relate to him and like him. He comes across as very sincere and genuine, you know? Yeah. I think that he's here to do business. He's ready to, he's ready to rock, you know, but he's, uh, he's human and he, Really, um, well, you know, you say 10 years of working together. Uh, Montrose used to open for Van Halen. Or, no, Van Halen used to open for Montrose. Yeah. They go they go back, you know, so far. Um, like you said, it's it's almost half a century. Yeah. So yeah. There, there's, there's definitely some blood there. And I think that when you when you have that kind of going on and you've, you've, you've been in, in and around the same circle and on the stages and in the studios together and all that stuff, he's, 
it would have been a mistake for him to not. I think that it's terrible that he didn't get to say goodbye in person to cons- have some console, you know, some consoling time yeah. uh, with Eddie and, and, uh, and hell with, with Eddie's family, with Wolf and whoever, you yeah. know, you know, they were all in there together, you know, it was, yeah. they were rubbing elbows forever. So, yeah. Yeah, really, really sad, tragic ending to a very successful partnership. But I think that, you know, my point is, I think Sammy is forever grateful for the opportunity to be part of Van Halen. I know that he speaks highly of his, I mean, he was thrilled to join that band because he was kind of burned out with his solo career. Uh, when the when the invitation came in to join Van Halen, he was kind of thinking, I don't know if I'm into this anymore. Maybe I'll go chase one of my entrepreneurial things and get off the road and just kind of try the something phone rang. And then the phone rang. Yeah. Hey, Sam. Hey, Sam, it's Ed. Hey, man. It's history. <laughs> so I want to just encourage people one more time, go check out this book. It's Sammy Hagar's 2011 uh, autobiography. It's called Red. It's an easy read, and it is really good. You'll enjoy it. Even if you're not a Sammy Hagar fan, I recommend it because – you won't waste a lot of time getting through 250 pages and it'll offer a lot of insight. My final words here before you take us out uh, is you don't have to be a Sammy, you know, a fan of Sammy's music. Just remember, if you see any interviews with him, just, 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 you know, slow your roll and listen to what he has to say. And you're going to recognize this one thing. Sam's the cool uncle. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's got a cool uncle. Yeah. He's the cool uncle. He is, man. It's going to be the life of the party, whether it's uh, at the family barbecue or if it's, you know, on stage in front of 100,000 people at some outdoor summer sweat fest. It, it, if, you're, if Sammy's in your family, it's not, it's not Santa Claus you're waiting for every Christmas. <laughs> it's Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam. Sam. Uncle Sam. Yeah. Sam. Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right, man. Great conversation on the uh, the multidimensional and legendary and uh, for good reason, Sammy Hagar. What a career. What a catalog of songs and uh, seems to be on every level just a really cool dude. So we'll move on to our shot of rock and roll. Jason, my shot of rock and roll for you this episode is I'm wondering if you can remember the very first rock and roll poster you ever hung on your wall as a kid. You remember? No. I was wondering if you were still there. <laughs> Did well, you go to the uh, restroom, dude? <laughs> the, the, answer, the answer is, is you know, no. But the answer is also the fact that I had so many KISS posters, and I, I honestly don't have any memory of hanging up, you know, anything like a, I don't know, when you're a little kid, you know, a Dallas Cowboys poster, you know, it's like, I'm not, I had Dallas Cowboy pajamas, you know, I watched football with my, my dad and my family, you know. They didn't have but, kiss pajamas. Dude, once, once I found out, once I found rock and roll, I, I, I didn't have Dallas Cowboy pajamas anymore. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, 
sports to me was a way for me to bond with my parents, right? And that's that's great. Sure. Uh, it has to be the like firm memory was was probably um i i remember having a ted nugent poster oh like of him live like screaming demon kind of you know and uh that's not the only poster that i had um i had the giant wall poster of kiss you know that's basically themed off of kiss alive photo shoot you know, it's probably from the first, like, big arena tours they did. You remember those giant wall posters? The ones I remember, they were standing on the plexiglass platforms, and it was it was about the Alive 2 era, I think. That's that's like a Love Gun era. Of yeah. Like yeah. And everything. No, this would have been 75. I remember the Kiss poster from, it was, it was, that era or right around destroyer where the, all four of them were on like these chopper motorcycles and it was definitely the older costumes i think uh, i have the the gene he's on the red chopper i think i still have yeah. that all of them were on the red chopper they did those they released those posters individually and then there was one poster with all four of them on the same poster yeah yeah yeah, yeah i'm right. gonna have to dig that out um uh, yeah, I'm going. With, I'm going with. Uh, I'm not proud of it because Ted Nugent's kind of acquired political taste, but right. uh, you know he wrote some kick-ass rock. I absolutely love love Cat Scratch Fever. Yeah, and Double Live Gonzo is just so. Well, my that's God. that's part of it. That's part of it. The first, you know, the the first Ted Nugent record, uh, uh, and Cat Scratch, and. Um, uh, double live gonzo fucked me up <laughs> yeah. in a great way you yeah. know it opened my mind to like you know i mean i wanted all my friends to come over and listen to double live gonzo and hear this crazy person curse yeah in between guitar solos yeah yeah so, say a bunch of yibbity yabbity 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 right and just yeah. talk yeah. about pussy and all kinds of stuff it was it was it was bad mojo it was like to me, it was like I couldn't, you know, I, I then I found Richard Pryor and started listening to Richard Pryor records, <laughs> listen to his whole stories and stuff, and you know that's it's kind of like jerk my earliest like I, I I like Jerky Boys for a minute for the same reason that was prank calls, yeah, yeah. stage jokes, but uh, I've got a shot of rock and roll to you, shoot, um. You know, back in the day, as us old folks like to say, um, going to early concerts and you see the merch laid out. It, I don't remember there being coffee mugs and keychains and things like that. It was like sometimes you would see like the old 70s satin jacket with the band's logo on the back. Yeah. And, and it's like I didn't even... I was a punk ass kid. I didn't have any interest in anything like that, but it was either, you know, a t-shirt or a tour program, which was like an enlarged, um, full color, of course, like someone spent money to put these collages and the, the verbiage and describing the tour and the rehearsals and the press and the da 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 da. 
and I have a stack of tour programs that I've accumulated over the years, and some of them are kind of old, and some of them I've, uh, uh, you know, whatever the, their story is, each of them have a different story, but but they these were these tour programs, these enlarged, cool uh, photographs, and you know has a big pull-out poster in the middle, but on on heavy stock paper. Yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of listeners are going to know that if they're of age, uh, yeah. what what I'm talking about. Do you remember going to concerts and seeing these tour programs there at the merch table for sale for I don't know ten bucks, fifteen bucks? Now they would probably go for about fifty. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it would even be worth it. You know. Yeah, I, I do remember tour programs, uh, and you're right. I think uh, back when you know when I first started going to concerts, which was, you know, my first concert was '83, and if you went to the merch table, it was basically uh, two or three different T-shirt choices, and then you had the tour program, and there wasn't much else that I can recall. Like nowadays, you go and there's there's trucker caps and there's programs and there's 15 different types of t-shirts and there's beanies and there's bandanas and you know well, yeah whatever. i mean if we're talking about kiss there's going to be you're going to be able to purchase a a, a coffin yeah yeah just a, a, bo- <laughs> a box of wine you know you're going to yeah you're going to or you're going to you can buy a leather jacket yeah but, for but, $800 yeah, for for uh, next month's rent. Yeah, no, but to answer your question, I do remember the tour programs. Um, I was always the guy that my money was always spent on the T-shirts, and 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 back in the early days, my preference was the three-quarter length sleeve, the jersey, the baseball jersey, what they call yeah. the raglan today. Um, cool. And the funny, the funny thing is. I always wanted the jersey, but then I took it home, and the first thing I did was cut the sleeves off. And the thing is, it's because you left a little bit of the sleeve intact, so you kind of went from a white T-shirt with a design, and you left a little bit of black sleeve on each shoulder, you know? And I remember that was the thing. And, and back then, you could get the jersey for like 12 bucks, and your standard short sleeve black T-shirt was like 8 bucks. And my first concert was Kiss, and I remember buying uh, the jersey, cutting the sleeves off, and I did that again on my second concert, which was Iron Maiden. I bought the jersey, cut the sleeves off. So I was always buying the T-shirts rather than the tour programs because I could wear the T-shirts, and I could tell the world that I went to the concert, and I could tell the world I was a fan of the band by wearing the t-shirt whereas the tour program was cool and everything but it basically sat at home on a bookshelf you know the t-shirt told the world i'm a rocker dude i went to this gig (laughs) it was uh i support this band you know it was uh it was colors it was a badge of honor yeah wearing your colors right exactly we've talked about we've talked about that and it's almost worthy of a of an entire episode in my opinion about how, um, you know, your first day of school, you're looking for people wearing the colors. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's how you Those find Those are going to be your friends. Yeah, so exactly. You're picking your friends by that. Where's the other long hair with the uh, Quiet Riot t-shirt? Yeah, like where's the other guys wearing polos? They're my friends. That's not happening. <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> that's not happening. No yeah. offense. No, I don't, I don't give a shit what you wear. Right, there. it's just not but my tribe. But the people, the girls and guys who are out there wearing concert shirts, and they, it doesn't even have to be a band that I'm totally into. If they're wearing a concert shirt, nowadays it's a farce because you have supermodels wearing, you know, Cannibal Corpse t-shirts. And yeah, shit. Right. yeah, yeah. So it doesn't, it's, it's a play on words. They're being quiche, you know, they're being, you know, they're being, uh, yeah. you know, ironic. Yeah, they're showing off the look. I I can, I can wear the shirt with this like bloody nun on it, and I'm cool. It's like, <laughs> oh, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, no, I was always the guy at the merch booth uh, looking for something I could wear. It when it was a jersey back in the day, and then then as the prices started going up, I had to, I had to step back and just buy the regular you know short sleeve T-shirt, and then. Today, and with probably within the last 20 years, I'm just like, I can't even afford anything, you know, because it's like. Well, when you, when you, it, you know, when we're talking, because I kind of set this up to be like when you're at an arena show or a giant shed where there's a package or, you know, you're, you're seeing the biggest band in the world, you know, Metallica or Guns N' Roses or something crazy like that or, or Slayer even. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you think like that, um, yeah, you're going to probably spend some dough. Um, but, but if it's one step sort of in the middle, like you go see Testament supporting over overkill and, you know, that sort of like, you can get a shirt for 25 or $35 yeah, and still yeah. feel okay with it. But <clears throat> excuse me, did you say $8 for a shirt? I remember, I remember at the, concert that my first concert i remember eight dollars for a what, kiss what t-shirt. for a kiss t-shirt eight dollars so said eight dollar kiss t-shirt um, <laughs> in, in with with sleeves intact dave yeah. um you know how much that's worth now on i don't know an ebay or etsy or yeah shop yeah. Yeah, I have no idea, but I, I've $200, seen these. $200, $250? Sure, yeah. I've seen these vintage t-shirts on eBay, and they're ones that I used to own or I, I couldn't afford back then, and now I see them, and they're going for 350 bucks or something. Well, you know, 8 bucks even in 1982 or whatever, That's that was that was kind of a chunk of money in your a little dude's wallet. Yeah, dude, I'm 16 years old. I mean, $8 is a tank of gas to keep me going for the next week or whatever, you know. Yeah, that's lunch for two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right, man, this has been a good one. I really enjoyed talking Sammy Hagar with you. Uh, He, Like I said, he's not one of my go-to guys. I don't have every Sammy Hagar album in the world, but I've got a ton of respect for him. I love his ambition, his drive. I respect his longevity. I respect his vocal cords. The guy's a great singer. And uh, I just think, as you said, he is the cool uncle, and there's nobody out there listening that wouldn't have a good time if you had the chance to hang out with him. I'm sure of that. That is the truth. (laughs) 
So on that note, uh, we'll get out of here. But first, wanted to remind you, talklouderpodcast.com for your T-shirts, coffee mugs. Cheers. Uh, get your swag, your merch at talklouderpodcast.com. And, of course, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Check us out on Facebook. Listen to us on iTunes and Spotify. Tell all your friends. Share, share, share. I'm Metal Dave Glessner with my co-host Jason McMaster. We'll see you next time on the Talk Louder podcast. 